Welcome to Your Personnel File, a podcast from U.S. Army Human Resources Committee. Your Personnel File explores the programs, policies, and initiatives designed to serve you, the soldier, veteran, and family member. Now, let's join our host and find out what's inside Your Personnel File at HRC. Hello, and welcome to this installment of Your Personnel File. I'm Bill Costello, and joining me today is Army Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Palasik, the Transition Policy Branch Chief for the Army's Transition Assistance Program, or TAP. The Army Transition Assistance Program exists to assist transitioning soldiers discover knowledge, skills, and resources necessary to be competitive and successful in the global workforce. TAP helps soldiers make informed career decisions through counseling and employment assistance building upon lessons learned in the initial and service phases of the soldier life cycle. TAP supports the Army's active component recruiting effort by producing successful alumni. Just as the decision to enlist in the Army is often influenced by friends and relatives, when Army alumni are successful, they serve as a powerful examples of what Army service can do for a young man or young woman's future. Colonel Palasik, thank you for taking time out of your busy calendar to be here to educate our listeners and maybe expand their awareness about this vital Army program. Perhaps you'd start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Good morning, thank you, Mr. Casello. Uh, yeah, I, I began this journey 22 years ago. I, I commissioned in 1999, a product of uh, early commissioning program for New Mexico Military Institute, and then uh, joined the Oregon Army National Guard while I completed my bachelor's degree at Oregon State. And I did about three and a half years, a little over that, in the Oregon Army National Guard as a, a quartermaster and ordnance officer in a support battalion uh, in the Portland area. I came on active duty in 2003, uh, was assessed into the quartermaster corps, went through Fort Lee, Virginia, and then uh, my first assignment was in Schweinfurt, Germany as a uh, platoon leader in the 2nd Brigade, 1st Infantry Division uh, in a heavy brigade combat team. Uh, Spent almost five years there and two deployments to Iraq during that time and uh, completed platoon leader time, battalion S3 and company command. Uh, was fortunate enough to move on to the career course and then went to Hawaii to be a uh, member of the joint POW MIA accounting command. Uh, so a noble, honorable mission um, that I was able to do traveling overseas to recover remains uh, from past wars. Uh, selected for major, went on to uh, Commander General Staff College at Fort Leavenworth and then returned to the Northwest where I'm from uh, originally uh, as a major to serve in the 4-2 uh, Striker Brigade Combat Team as a Brigade S4 and Battalion XO. I was able to take advantage of the uh, advanced civil schooling option for the Army and uh, move back down to Oregon and complete my master's degree in management at Southern Oregon University. I was selected for Battalion Command uh, and following a stint back at Fort Lee as a doctrine developer working on uh, logistics doctrine and FM40. Uh, I took command of the 296 Brigade Support Battalion. That was my last assignment before heading to HRC in May of this year. Uh, so my current position as the Chief of Transition Policy, uh, we oversee, update, and implement all of the transition policy uh, that's mandated by Congress, uh, oversee those regulations, and the implementation of the program at all the TAP centers Army-wide. So uh, about 500 civilian contractors that execute that, so in conjunction with MCOM, uh, we work to make sure that soldiers are getting all the services that they need. Well, that's great. Thanks. It sounds like over the extent of your career, you've had a lot of time dealing with soldier issues, 
um, setting soldiers up for success and, and being successful yourself. And so it's great to have you here. So let's start um, as we talk about transition assistance program. Who's eligible to participate in the program and, and when does that eligibility begin? Uh, the eligibility extends to soldiers, DA civilians, retirees, family members, and caregivers. Uh, so it's a pretty wider scope than just the service members that you think of. Uh, I'd like to make sure that we, we pay, 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 uh, pay special attention to the spouses as well uh, because they sacrifice a lot, a lot over the course of a career. Um, and as far as when that eligibility begins, uh, the tagline that we use a lot is go early, go often. You'll hear that a few times uh, as we talk today. Uh, but at a minimum, 12 months is mandated uh, by Congress in NDA 2019. So the earlier you can start and get informed on these programs, the better off you'll be to make sure that you're not rushed at the back end because you can't make up more time. The sweet spot we find is somewhere between that 18 to 12 month window um, for traditional separations of, of uh, ETS and retirees, we recommend 24 months to begin that process. Uh, but at a minimum, uh, 12 months to start that transition process. So 12 months from the time that they are scheduled to transition out, they should be thinking about or at least investigating the transition assistance program. Absolutely. If you know your ETS date and you or you have a, a date in mind that you're going to request in your retirement packet, you know when that finish line is uh, and backwards plan from that. And uh, commanders are informed uh, and chain of command knows when soldiers are populating on that list. But uh, as you know, it changes. Uh, soldiers change their mind, choose to re-enlist, and then uh, they move out of that window and they're no longer uh, in that transition window. But Um, so, um, I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but why is it important for soldiers to consider a transition plan before they decide to separate? Uh, as you know, life changes. Uh, we can't always predict which direction we're going to go. Um, financial situations can change. You may decide to stay in. Uh, you can transfer to a new uh, MOS or a better assignment or location becomes available and you decide to re-enlist for that location or a bonus or an option. So as things change, uh, it's better to have a plan, an option uh, to give you a branch plan to think about. It also educates you on the program, what services are available, and it could lean you one way or the other, whether to stay in or get out, depending on uh, what you receive from that DAP counselor. You mentioned this um, just in that answer. Um, can, can soldiers then initiate the transition assistance program and, and let's say midway through, midway through that program, decide to remain in uniform and, and stop that transition process. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned, I mentioned it earlier, the go early, go often. It, you can't get that time back. So uh, changing your mind is not a mark, a negative mark. It doesn't go with you anywhere in your personnel file. Uh, anything on the TAP side stays in a database that's only collected by TAP counselors and really reviewed by our office. It has nothing to do with your your service record and it's not marked. So there is no discrimination if you decide to go and, and get educated and informed. Uh, it's solely that. It's going to give you the tools and the options to make a better decision, an informed decision, uh, no matter what the individual decides to do. That's great. Let's, let's talk a little bit about history. Um, so I separated from active duty in, in 2009. Sometimes I, I think of that as ancient history. Uh, the Army Career and Alumni Program, as it was known then, ACAP, uh, was was really little more than about one or two day seminar on, on how to write a resume, uh, how to dress for success, and, and then we were able to rehearse some interview skills uh, with a role player who, who was an employer. H how, in your role with as a transition uh, policy branch chief, how, how has the program improved since those early days of uh, 
transition assistance? Well, you mentioned it briefly. It was uh, one mandatory briefing, the system that you went through. That was the pre-separation uh, counseling that really laid out what was available to you, but on an all-volunteer basis. Depending on what uh, the individual wanted to select to go to, um, they had the choice whether to attend, and if work got in the way, you really pushed that off and didn't seize the opportunity to, to utilize all those services. Uh, it was really underutilized when we look at the the numbers from, from back uh, in the historical data. The VA benefits brief was attended by about 37% of those transitioning out. Um, Department of Labor Employment Workshops was about 35%. And uh, financial services resume building was about the 10 to 15% mark of soldiers that actually participated in those. Um, individual transition plans were 5%. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, under the National Defense Authorization Act of 2019, Congress made it mandatory that TAP was provided to every transitioning service member, whether it's retiree, medical separation, and all of those uh, career readiness standards were made mandatory. Now, depending on where you fell and what your assessment was after you did your initial counseling, uh, you were assessed as a tier one, two, or three, uh, tier three being the higher risk soldiers that need uh, determined to need a little bit more assistance transitioning uh, from the military, whereas tier one is your, your less risk of that. So there's a few options that uh, weren't necessarily required for the tier one and tier two soldiers that could be waived, um, but there was educational, vocational, or entrepreneurship or employment tracks that were made mandatory, at least one of those for tier three soldiers. Um, so with that, it's more important now, like we talked about earlier, that timing of starting 12 months out because to fit all those into a schedule while you're still working takes time uh, to make sure that you complete those to standard, not just to check the block, but to make sure that the soldier is receiving the quality that they need to uh, determine what they're going to do in the civilian capacity. It, and it's, it sounds like it's a partnership between the soldier and the commander or soldier's leadership on, on making transition assistance um, beneficial and useful so that that soldier can go early and go often. Absolutely. And the time has to be made available to transitioning service members. I know it's not always easy. As a former commander myself, you want to have soldiers on the ground uh, to meet mission requirements, but that mission requirement also for commanders required is to make sure that soldiers are made available to receive those transition benefits and those classes and educational workshops. Um, it's a two-way street. Uh, the soldier needs to keep their chain of command informed, whether that's their squad leader, platoon sergeant, platoon leader, and message that up through. And then we'll work our piece of messaging to commanders at the, the top level to make sure that uh, there's a common understanding that it is mandated. Uh, and that's our job to help uh, educate the force and make sure that, that soldiers are getting the benefits that they deserve. Let's, let's, um, let's transition a little bit and talk about partnerships um, that the TAP program has with outside agencies who exist to assist soldiers. Um, I know this is not something that um, the Army can do alone, um, but that you in, in the TAP program uh, need to recruit, uh, for lack of a better term, need to recruit partnership organizations or agencies that are maybe a little bit more experienced in this transition process. Um, how have these partnerships improved the TAP program for soldiers and family members? I think the, the overall trend of the last 15 years is that civilian employers are not more willing but are seeking veterans and service members uh, to fill employment gaps that they have because of the quality uh, of soldiers that are coming out of the military to fill a lot of vacancies in the job market right now. 
Uh, so we're seeing a, a severe uptick or significant uptick in the number of corporations that are coming on board that are seeking out how do we hire veterans. A bridge for that is a, a contract that we have with Recruit Military um, that ties those two together, that make that employment connection. They, they serve as soldiers on one side and then inform employers on the other and marry those two up through job fairs, um, hiring events to make sure that we're, we're connected. Uh, right now, they, they maintain a database of employers and employees or potential employees and soldiers. I think 1.5 million members are registered right now uh, that are former service members across wow. all branches, not just Army. And there's over 400,000 job postings right now through their website on Recruit Military. So it's like a monster uh, type job market that pairs those up with skills and attributes that you put into your resume, LinkedIn, similar to that, um, that marries those two up. And they have several uh, hiring fairs, live and virtual events. Uh, COVID slowed down a little bit of the live piece, but a lot of virtual still being executed to tie those together. Beyond Recruit Military, uh, the Career Skills Program, which falls under the, the DOD-wide Skill Bridge Program, the Army's piece of it is uh, a Career Skills Program, or CSP. Uh, and those are hundreds of companies across the, the globe in the United States um, that partner with MCOM, get approved, and they run uh, internships, apprenticeships, on-the-job training, employment skills trainers uh, to certify and, and get soldiers additional skills. And it results in about a 92 to 93 percent higher rate upon completion. A career skills program is eligible uh, for soldiers approved by their chain of command to participate, and it's available the last six months uh, before their ETS or retirement date. So we've seen about 34,000 uh, participants in that, and like I said, a 92 to 93 percent job successful hiring rate upon completion of a career skills program. Well, that is certainly different than the 2009 version of transition that, that I experienced, but, uh, but that's great. So um, if there's a soldier um, anywhere in the continental United States, and I presume overseas as well, this, these programs are eligible for them, uh, where, would that, where, would soldiers, where would you recommend that soldiers go start looking first? What's their first step when they say, hey, I need to check this out? Uh, the, the first step is, is really to look at what the regulation states and to get informed on what is required. So AR 600-81, which is on the Army Publishing Directorate, the APD website, um, and we've got a new version that's in draft right now under review. It should be published, we're hoping, by the end of this year, and accompanied with that is DAPAM 600-90, which really clears out and has a lot of helpful tables and tools in there that'll help spell out the program and, and the flow of how things will work in transition. Uh, beyond that, um, www.sfl-tap.army.mil. The SFL is going away because it's just tap now. Um, but once that website addresses it, it'll be just tap.army.mil and it'll direct soldiers that way. So that provides all the tools, that tactical connection. It'll have a link to recruit military to direct soldiers to uh, potential hiring opportunities. It'll also inform you on the career skills program and that tactical connection uh, as well as the uh, armytap.virtualfusions.com is an online uh, platform that will be fully automated. Uh, we're still working through some, some networking issues on government computers, but on a perso personal computer, soldiers can uh, apply for their account. They don't require a common access card to log in. It's an individual generated account that will put you on a live feed with a counselor uh, to be able to receive some of those briefings and presentations. All the presentations are available uh, for informational purposes already uh, to look on the Virtual Fusions website. 
but everything from the TAP website will have the, the drop-down menus and the links to be able to, to provide those opportunities and, and the education that soldiers need. Um, last question. Um, you've, you said you've been in the, in the job for uh, a matter of months. What surprised you most about running the Army's Transition Assistance Program? Now, first, the most surprising thing was I was unaware that it is congressionally mandated that, that we owe this to our soldiers, that it's really uh, a matter of taking care of soldiers. We, we thank them for their service, but this is the way to truly thank them, to prepare them for their next uh, career, uh, whether they decide to stay in or get out. We owe that to our soldiers. So knowing that now and, and spreading the word, uh, it's an important and honorable mission. And the other thing that struck me was the sheer volume of service members that transition from the Army alone every year. I had no idea that it was in the 90 to 100,000 uh, person range per year. That's a an extreme volume of eligible employment opportunities that we need to fill uh, the job market with. So uh, a critical role that we fill in making sure that we're providing the, the best uh, member we can back to the civilian workforce. Well, Colonel Plastic, I want to thank you for um, spending just a few, few minutes of your time uh, with us today. Uh, the tra Army Transition Assistance Program um, is certainly uh, while being congressionally mandated is certainly something that the Army should do for those soldiers, family members, and, and others who are eligible to take advantage of this great program. I want to thank you for coming out today, and I want to thank all our listeners for listening to your personnel file at HRC. Have a great day. Your Personnel File is a monthly podcast brought to you by the Army Human Resources Command Public Affairs Office located at Fort Knox. Today's podcast was produced written and hosted by Bill Costello, with support from the HRC Public Affairs Office. Our audio technicians were Glenn Schrock, Scott Bacalars, and Hyang Go. Visual imagery is courtesy of Staff Sergeant Benjamin Shaw.